Luke 24, beginning in verse 33. says, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And Father, we ask even in reading that very verse that by the Spirit of God you would allow exactly what happened there to happen for us as we study the scriptures ourselves this morning. That Jesus, by your resurrection spirit at work and among us, you would open up our understanding to comprehend these scriptures for what you had intended in your heart when they were inspired by the Spirit and given to us and that you would give us personal understanding and application for each and every one of our lives in this hour and in this day. So Lord, would you bless your word, speak to us that we might hear your voice clearly, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think one of the greatest desires of Jesus to this day still, very simply, is just to reveal himself to people. If you look at the passage that we're reading together this morning, it's pretty clear that that's exactly what you find Jesus doing. In fact, if we move through it, we'll take note together that we even see, I think, a few of the ways in which Jesus did and Jesus still does utilized to reveal himself to people on this earth. Things like, for example, the testimony of others. In the first few verses, we see people just sharing testimony of what the Lord did in their own life and testifying to one another about Jesus. We see also in this passage, Jesus just simply using a real personal, powerful experience of himself where people have a personal experience with the Lord and Jesus just steps into their world and speaks to their heart in a very direct and a powerful and personal way. As well as we see the end that Jesus also, another way he reveals himself is through the truths of Scripture. And we'll notice these things as we look together this morning. Remember, as we're running into the section of Scripture where we're at now this morning, we're coming off the tail end of these two disciples who were walking on the Emmaus Road, leaving Jerusalem, going back to Emmaus. And it seems we're rather discouraged. We saw last time they were kind of downcast. They felt like everything had just failed. 
They had watched Jesus die and suffer on the cross tragically, and they're very discouraged, and they're sort of just sharing with one another, talking about the things that happened. And remember, we saw Jesus, it says, comes up alongside of them. It tells us for whatever reason and how their eyes were restrained. They didn't recognize Jesus at first, whether that God was sovereignly doing something or it was just the doubt and the unbelief in their hearts at that moment that was hindering their ability to see and recognize Jesus. Jesus comes up alongside of them and he says, hey, what is it? What's this you guys are talking about? You seem so discouraged. You seem so, uh, you know, concerned. Why do you seem so sad? They looked at him like he had to be from another planet, which he was. And they said to him, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what just happened? What just happened to Jesus of Nazareth, this one whom we thought as a prophet of God uh, was actually going to be the one to redeem Israel? And they began to just share to Jesus the things that had happened as if he didn't understand those things. After a certain point, remember, Jesus ultimately said, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have prophesied of the Christ and telling us in verse 27, then beginning at Moses and the prophets, Jesus began to expound to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And he began to just take them through the Old Testament, pointing out how the things that had happened really were all fulfillment of scripture. Jesus then acted like he was going to depart, but they invited him to stay again, still not recognizing it was him. But notice with me, if you would, pick up in verse 30. Let's just read the last few things we looked at last week. It says, Now it came to pass, as Jesus sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, verse 31, and then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. That is, they recognized that this indeed was Jesus, and then notice he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, last thing we looked at, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Now, in response to that, we then read, if you draw your attention back to verse 33, after that awareness and encounter with Jesus, so they rose up that very hour. The idea is wherever they were at, we have got to get back to Jerusalem and tell about this. They rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven and those with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So because these two men have just had a powerful, very personal experience with Jesus Christ, immediately look what they're compelled to do. They are compelled. Nobody has to tell them. They are compelled to want to go and share their own experience with Jesus with other people. They're motivated. Their personal preferences or conveniences don't even matter anymore. They rush seven miles right back to Jerusalem and just go back as quickly as they can. It tells us here they find the apostles whom Jesus traveled and ministered together with and assembled with the uh, ministry servants of Jesus also seems was a larger group of the followers of Jesus all assembled together in a particular place where they were gathered. And these two guys come bounding through the door 
completely enthusiastic. They can't wait to share what's happening. And upon entering, it seems, they're greeted instead by someone who is just as enthusiastic as them because before they can even share their news, which it tells us they do in verse 35, before they can share their news, it seems someone from that assembled group enthusiastically gets up and announces to them, verse 34, the Lord is risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. So they come through the door and they can't wait to share. And before they can share, it's already confirmed to them that what they experienced was absolutely true because somebody apparently, as they come through the door, these two disciples say, hey, glad you could join us. Did you hear? It's true. Jesus is alive. He really is. He's come back from the dead. In fact, he's even made a personal appearance to Simon Peter. Now, we don't have any details of that private appearance. John 21 talks to us of a time when Jesus later appeared to Peter a second time to restore him back into ministry. But this private appearance where Jesus appears to Simon Peter, we're not given details about it. We're just simply told that it happened. However, what a beautiful revelation it is of the heart of Jesus. Because think with me if you would. What was the last thing that took place in Peter's life right before Jesus was crucified? Peter denied the Lord miserably. Peter failed in a way like he had never failed before and he was left weeping and regretful and I say that to point out to you how beautiful is this to see a revelation of the heart of Jesus that he took the time to reach out and to reassure one of his followers who had failed him miserably. You know, I can't even begin to imagine what that conversation must have been like. If Peter is anything like any one of us breathing in this room, I'm sure he was struggling with condemnation. He was feeling pretty miserable and ashamed. We're told that he wept, he convulsed, he was brokenhearted that he had done what he had done in, in denying Jesus in his own life and failing the Lord in the way that he did. And Peter was certainly probably dealing with regrets and struggling with condemnation. And can you picture Jesus showing up and just starting to counsel him and to comfort him and to assure him, Peter, look, it's taken care of. Peter, do you see these wounds? Peter, I paid for that. Peter, I knew you were going to do that. And it, it's okay. It's okay. It's forgiven. Peter, you can be free from that now. I paid for that, Peter. It, it, it can be well with yours. And just reassuring Peter that things were not over, that he still loved him and trying to encourage him. And perhaps this morning you are here and maybe recently... Maybe you failed the Lord miserably. Maybe here this morning you're a follower of Jesus and presently or sometime in the past you have denied the Lord. Maybe in a really horrific way. Maybe in ways beyond what you could ever imagine. And it's left you broken hearted and discouraged. And maybe the lie of condemnation has been nagging away at your own conscience making you feel and think somehow that because you failed Jesus that he wants nothing to do with you now. 
And, and quite honestly, he just kind of wants to shun you because he is just so disappointed that you would have said what you said or done what you've done or disgraced him in the way that you feel that you've disgraced him or have backslidden so far as you actually did. And, and maybe the lie of condemnation has been saying to you as the devil has been inspiring that voice, Jesus wants nothing to do with you and, 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 and he wants to cast you off. And if anything, if anything else, he at least wants to keep you at a distance now. Can I tell you on the authority of God's word, the exact opposite of that is true. There is nothing further from the truth. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we see he did with Peter is a great assurance that his heart is exactly the same today. He went to a failed disciple and reassured him and revealed himself to him. And Jesus this morning, if you have failed, I tell you, he's not trying to get away from you. He is trying to get you back as close to him as possible, waiting with open arms to reassure you of his love and of his forgiveness. The Bible tells us of Jesus, a bruised reed he does not break. A smoking flax he does not quench. The idea is that you know a reed would be bent over because it's been, been damaged and typically someone may come along and say, well, it's already damaged, so just break it the rest of the way off and be done with it. Or a, a, a flax that's smoking. The idea is the fire is basically about out and you say, well, that, that's basically the fire. So the smoke's just irritating, so just, just put it. Jesus does the opposite. He restores he seeks to take what's broken and bruised and just smoking and, and he seeks to just heal it and restore it and to fan it back into flame. That's what Jesus wants if you've failed as a follower of Jesus this morning. Not to do away with you, but to do a wonderful work of healing and forgiveness and restoration in you. I love Acts, or excuse me, John chapter 8 where we see Jesus speaking to a woman caught in tremendous personal failure in her own life and Jesus says to her, I do not condemn you. Just go and sin no more. He wasn't easy on sin. He said, listen, you, you need to stop and, and go and sin no more. But he said, I don't condemn you. And this morning you need to know Jesus is not condemning you. Conviction is from the Lord, making us realize our error. But conviction will always bring you back to the Lord. Condemnation makes you feel that you need to somehow be pushed away from the Lord. And, and the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That forgiveness is available through our faith in Christ. Well, after listening to this testimony, it tells us, verse 35, that these two men apparently eventually did get their opportunity. And it says they began to tell about the things that had happened on the road and how Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread. So, you can imagine they begin to share the testimony of what we've read in the prior verses we studied last time there in Luke 24 as they're sharing their own story. Oh, you can't believe it. We were walking around and man, we were so bummed out and discouraged and, and we just felt it was the end of the world and, and then all of a sudden this guy comes up and we didn't even realize it was him and, and you can picture them just walking through and telling the experience of exactly what the Lord did in their life. And then, yeah, he started teaching us this study and we were thinking, man, this guy, for not knowing what happened in Jerusalem, he sure knows the Bible well. And, and he started expounding the scriptures through Moses and the prophets and saying, look, see how this talks about Messiah there in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and Deuteronomy 18. And, the, and, and then all of a sudden he broke the bread and our, our eyes were opened and oh my goodness. 
everything changed we realized and, and we ran right back here and, and they're just sharing their testimony out of the overflow of their hearts it says they told about the things that had happened to them and how he was known to them they were just sharing their personal testimony of what the Lord did in their life and I point this out for you this morning because I want you to take note that one of the ways one of the uh, things the Lord uses that he intends for him to be revealed to other people is through personal testimony. That is just through people like these individuals and like you and I, people sincerely sharing what has happened in their own lives in relation to Jesus Christ. I think one of the most effective evangelism tools that you can employ is personal testimony is just to share with other people what Jesus has done in your own life you don't have to be a Bible scholar oh I'd never be able to share the gospel because I don't know the four spiritual laws track or I can't quote that Romans road thing what was that Romans 3.23 listen if you're saved you know the gospel if you got saved you have to understand the gospel just tell people what Jesus did in your life you realize you were a sinner you realize Jesus was the, I think we should use the word of God it's powerful and God's word doesn't return void but I'll tell you this people can dispute and ignore spiritual truths and oftentimes they do you know, one of the gals I, I talked to last night who came forward afterwards that I was sharing with for a few minutes, she came forward and said, listen, I'm an agnostic, which basically indicates I don't believe anything at all. I'm an agnostic, but she said, I came up here because I've never heard anybody talk like that before about spiritual things. And she said, "I, it just seemed real or something. And she said... "It." I, I'm not saying I believe that, but I had to come up here, she said, because she said, it just, I've never heard anybody talk about spiritual things about God like that before. It actually made sense. And just to be able to sit with her and talk for a few minutes and to be able to tell her, look, well, truth is available and God wants to reveal himself to you. And, and, I said, would you at least receive a New Testament? Read for yourself about Jesus. He wants to reveal himself to you. And see, it is such a wonderful thing because people can ignore and they can dispute spiritual truths. But I'll tell you one thing. It is hard for people to ignore a transformed life. It's hard for your family, your coworkers, your students, your, to ignore a life that's been transformed by Jesus. You can't argue against that. A changed life is a powerful, powerful witness. Because you can't, you can say, well, I don't believe that. You believe that, but I don't believe that. But you can't ignore when somebody's life has truly experientially been transformed by Jesus. So personal testimony is a wonderful thing. It's a very powerful thing. And this gathering here of this group of followers together just talking about the Lord, I think too, what a beautiful picture. Here you have a gathering of followers of Jesus together. And what are they doing? They're just talking about the Lord with each other can I say something this morning I think really that's a good picture for us of what God's people should be doing we should be talking about the Lord we talk about everything else you know news and this and that you know what really honors God's heart when we just talk about the Lord we should be talking a lot about the Lord because that's what's edifying 
In fact, listen to Malachi 3.16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him. Interesting. You can get in the record books of heaven by just having a conversation with some of your friends and talking about Jesus. It says that when God looks and sees his people talking about him, he listens in. Oh, wow, look at that. They're talking about me. They're actually not talking about the news. They're not complaining about the president. Listen, they're talking about us. And it says a book. Hey, write that down. Did you see what she just said about me? Write that down. Interesting. And what a beautiful picture here. They're just together and they're sharing with one another. Must have been an incredibly edifying conversation. Well, look at the story begins to unfold. It gets a very interesting meeting at this point. Verse 36 says, Now as they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. So here we now get another one of these resurrection appearances of Jesus after he's raised from the dead he shows up in his glorified body and as they're talking about the Lord I think that Jesus is probably listening in again from Malachi 3 it tells us that God delights to listen when his people talk about him and I think Jesus is probably listening into this conversation and then somehow at some point it tells us here he just steps out of the spiritual dimension and right in the midst of the room there, right into the physical realm, it just simply tells us in verse 36, as they were talking, Jesus just stood in the midst. Somehow he just instantly appeared among them. John chapter 20 tells us that the doors were shut and locked. So he didn't come through a door. He didn't climb in a window exactly how he did it apparently the glorified body has incredible capacities instantly jesus just passes out of the spiritual eternal realm and he steps right into the physical realm and shows up right here in that room among them and it says that when he appeared to them notice he spoke and said peace to you now that is not just the typical shalom type greeting the idea there I, what I want you to see is that Jesus was not just kind of saying hey good day or uh, that's not the idea the term that Jesus uses there when you look at it in the original language is Jesus was actually seeking to speak a word of loving assurance into the hearts of his disciples and followers who are there in essence trying to tell them all is well all is good that word peace that's used there literally is a word that refers to tranquility and rest after a battle has ceased or after a war is over. In essence, what Jesus was saying when he said peace to you is not just good day. He was saying, listen, you can be at peace. He was announcing you can be at rest. The battle's over. Everything I've just done in my suffering and my death and my resurrection now you can be at rest in your soul. The battle of sin separating man from God has been taken care of and he says, what I've accomplished, he's telling them, everything's resolved. I've satisfied the terms for peace between God and man. And how wonderful that Jesus wanted to announce that personally. I think that's beautiful. He wanted to announce to them the reality that peace with God was available. Colossians 1 verse 19 and 20 tells us this, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, having made peace 
through the blood of his cross. Again, the Bible tells us that we were at enmity with God before Jesus Christ came. Our sin separated us and God wanted to reconcile us so God prepared the peace treaty and he sent Jesus Christ and Jesus paid the penalty necessary and his blood ratifies the contract. And because of what he did on the cross, it tells us that God, wonderfully, it says God made peace through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus wanted to announce this. This is what he was announcing here. How wonderful to know that Jesus wants people to be aware that he offers peace for them. Jesus wants people to know and understand that they can be at peace with God, that that's available. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, the Bible telling us we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and we have access to that relationship by simple faith. Simple faith that allows us to be in a position of God's grace. And I love to see the fact that Jesus is so desirous that we would know what's available to us in forgiveness and that we can be at peace with God that in essence when you look at what he does here he's willing to interrupt whatever is going on in our lives and just step right into our world without our permission and to just speak into our life the truths of God that bring eternal redemption uh, that he would powerfully reveal himself and speak words to people and here in the midst of his followers assembled that's where Jesus shows up And that's where Jesus speaks. Jesus shows up and Jesus speaks when his people are together. That's the place where when two or three are gathered my name, Jesus said, I'll be in the midst. And if you want Jesus to show up in your life, you want Jesus to speak in your life, one of the most wonderful ways you can make yourself accessible for that is be with Jesus' people when they're assembled because that's where Jesus shows up. That's where Jesus speaks. So he just shows up in their midst. Look at verse 37. We get the reaction. It says, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed when Jesus just appeared that they had seen a spirit or that is a ghost. So verse 37 records for us the startled reaction of Jesus' followers as he just steps into their midst. It says that their reaction initially was they were terrified. They were frightened. They thought it was a ghost that showed up in the room as Jesus just appeared in their midst. Can I say, I really appreciate the honesty of the Bible, that it shows us what people are really like and it just realistically portrays for us things that are true. That verse 37 tells us that they were honestly just terrified and frightened and they they thought a ghost was showing up in the room. Now, I'm thankful for that in the sense that It shows me that these disciples, they were just figuring things out. They didn't know all the things. They didn't have every answer. I mean, put yourself into their sandals. Here you are. You're having a meeting. You're just talking amongst your friends. You're talking about the Lord. And all of a sudden, somebody realizes that Jesus... And all of a sudden, Jesus is just right in the room with you. And you can imagine how just in their humanness, they didn't quite understand what was taking place. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have every question answered. They were still figuring things out. And that should be a tremendous encouragement this morning because it's liberating to know that you can be a follower of Jesus 
and still be normal. It's okay that you don't always have all the answers in regards to what God's doing in your life all the time. It's a normal thing on occasion to not understand maybe what the Lord's doing and be trying to figure things out. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now we see through a glass dimly. Don't be discouraged that at times you have questions too and you're figuring things out. These disciples were too and they walked with Jesus for three and a half years. But it was progressive. The Lord was helping them to grow in their spiritual understanding. So here they are. They're, they're struggling with what's going on. And verse 38 says, He then further spoke to them saying, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? So Jesus asked them questions. And in so asking the questions he does, verse 38, notice he identifies there the struggles that he could see were taking place inside of them. And that is that apparently their hearts were troubled and doubts were arising in their hearts. Now think about it. What precipitated that? What precipitated them having troubled hearts within and what caused them to begin to struggle with doubts? Well, something had just happened in their life that made them feel a little bit fearful and uncomfortable. As well as the fact that what they supposed was happening, they thought a ghost was showing up in the room at first, what was happening was not really a reality of what they understood, so their fear and error and thought then caused them to be troubled and to begin to struggle with doubts. And as I look at that by way of application, oftentimes fear in our lives when something happens, an experience that makes us afraid or oftentimes when we don't quite understand maybe exactly what's going on or even what the Lord's doing or happening in our lives, a lot of times wrong perceptions and fears contribute to us becoming troubled and us starting to have doubts arise in our hearts about things as well. Perhaps the Lord this morning may ask you right where you're at in your own life the very same questions maybe Jesus would lovingly say to you why, why are you troubled why, why are doubts arising in your hearts and I don't think to indict us to make us feel bad I think sometimes he asks us those searching questions as he does the disciples here because ultimately he wants us to realize though we feel troubled and we're struggling with doubt it's okay and it's him and he's at work and he's involved and he's in control and, and, and perhaps maybe sometimes the Lord steps into our midst. I found in my own life, I've seen this many times, the Lord steps in and, and he starts to do something in our lives. And when he starts to do something in our lives, we don't always fully understand, what are you doing, Lord? He's doing something, but we're not quite grasping it in our little finite understanding. And we don't have all the questions answered and we don't recognize what's going on. And I start to get maybe a little startled or you start to feel a little afraid because of what's happening. And then, like all of us, we sometimes then get wrong perceptions and we perceive that what's happening is one thing when really it's something else. And then all of a sudden our hearts begin to get troubled and doubts arise. And I think Jesus would potentially say to us the same thing he said to those disciples when he sent them out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and said, cross over to the other side. And then remember what happened? The storm arose and they're straining and struggling and they don't and think they're going to sink and they're, they're terrified and they think they're not even going to survive. And what does Jesus do? He shows up and says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, this is you? <laughs> 
this crazy storm, this is, it is I. Don't be afraid. I love what Jesus said in John 14, one where he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Hey, this morning, if your heart's troubled, if you're afraid, maybe Jesus would say to you, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe. Believe God. Hear the voice of Jesus assuring you, I'm at work. I know you don't understand and see exactly what's going on yet, but believe. Believe. Look what goes on as we follow the story. Jesus sees that they couldn't quite understand. So verse 39, notice he begins to then assist them. He says to them, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So Jesus wants the disciples to recognize that this is really him. They're thinking it's a ghost or some apparition or phantom and they're not quite grasping it. And he wants them to really understand that this is not an immaterial spirit, but he is physically present with them. It tells us that he said to them there in verse 39, behold, it is, it's I. In other words, he was saying, guys, it's really me. It's really me. I'm really standing here with you. This, this isn't a phantom or an, uh, you, know, uh, you know, some kind of apparition or a ghost. It's really me right here. Look, I'm really physically present with you at this very hour. Jesus had a resurrected, glorified body and it was tangible. It was a literal body that somehow it seems was the same body had been buried in death, but it had been changed and transformed supernaturally in the resurrection. And Jesus here invites them to literally touch him and see for themselves. He says, behold, my hands and my feet. And it says there that verse 40, he, he showed them his hands and his feet. In other words, he revealed them. He showed them his hands and feet. And can you imagine when he showed them his hands and feet and they saw the nail prints? Because Revelation tells us that when we look upon the Lamb of God, he looks like a lamb who's been slaughtered. So the glorified, resurrected body of Jesus still bears the marks of his passion. And can you imagine him showing his hands and feet and them seeing the nail holes and recognizing the reality how amazing it was. And the language seems to indicate that they complied with Jesus' invitation and that they actually touched him and realized that that was him. But Jesus wanted to assure them, again, he was not some phantom. This was a physical existence. They thought it was a ghost or apparition, but Jesus says to them, notice verse 39, handle me, and he says, for a spirit, notice, does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So his resurrection body, it, it was physical. It was a literal, tangible, physical frame. And the Bible teaches us as believers, we will inherit glorified bodies, resurrection bodies, even as Jesus himself here possesses a glorified resurrection body. The natural capability of our glorified body and the nature of it it's going to be different than these physical bodies. These physical bodies, the Bible teaches, were prepared to exist on this earth. Our glorified resurrection body will be completely different in its nature and its design and its capacity, but it is designed to exist in the eternal or the spiritual realm. Again, if you're a note taker or, or Bible student, you should write in 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are passages that deal in depth 
with the truths of the reality of the glorified body that we will one day receive. That when this physical frame has served its purpose on this physical planet, that we will ultimately have a resurrected, transformed body with a spiritual, eternal makeup that will be designed to exist in the eternal realm. And it shall be a glorified body just like our risen Lord. In fact, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we're children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him. So we shall receive and inherit a glorified body, a resurrected body, even as our Lord Jesus Christ himself had here. And one thing we know about the glorified body, very evident from this, is it's tangible. It's a physical, literal body, and we will have an identity so that we can recognize one another. You know, sometimes people ask me, you know, when we get to heaven, you know, am I gonna, am I gonna be able to recognize people? Am I gonna, am I gonna know my wife? Will I know my parent? My simple answer to that usually is, do you think you'll be more stupid in heaven than you are on the earth? Probably not. Of course, you're gonna recognize. The Bible is very clear. There's an identity to the physical body, and we're not going to be. Listen, we're not gonna be some disembodied spirits floating around in heaven. Where then you see your spouse who's passed away or you see your parent and you want to express love to them and hug and embrace them and you go to, hey, and you pass through each other. Let's try again. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be physical. A literal body that can hug and embrace and say, it's so good to see you again. And we can spend eternity together now. It's going to be a body. or We believe in resurrection. A body a literal body that we can endure and experience heaven throughout all of eternity that is designed for that very purpose. Again, exactly what it will be like, we're yet still to experience, but we know it's physical. Jesus says flesh and bone. There's a physical component to that body. Well, look how he further illustrates that. It says, verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy, the idea is it seemed too good to be true that he was actually there potentially again embracing and hugging his disciples while they still didn't believe and marveled he said to them have you any food here so he gave them a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and jesus took it and ate in their presence now interesting that's just inserted in there of all the things the spirit of god could have told us this is probably definitely one of the ways they probably really knew it was jesus because jesus always seemed to be eating with people he was always getting invited over people's house for dinner and they accused him of eating with tax collectors and, and, and sinners, remember? And all of a sudden, they're having this incredible experience and Jesus says, uh, by the way, you guys got anything to eat? You got anything to eat around here? Oh, that must be the Lord. He wants to eat again. You know? And it says that they actually get some fish and honeycomb and the Spirit of God records for us that he ate in their presence, just further assuring them the reality of this physical frame that he had among them. And again, by way of encouragement, apparently our glorified bodies are going to have the capability to eat and to enjoy food. Amen. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. And it probably won't have struggles with calorie intake. You won't have to do the different, you know, it's probably going to be a wonderful thing 
taste fantastic. You can eat as much as you want, and there probably won't even be issues with weight or anything else. So apparently this glorified body that Jesus had, which again is a representation of what we shall have, has the capacity to eat and to enjoy food. Wonderful thing. As I look at this revelation of Jesus here, to me, such a beautiful thing that God records for us because it just reinforces to me again that one of the ways that Jesus often wants to utilize to reveal himself sometimes is to just give people a very personal and powerful spiritual experience in their own life with his presence. I have found that sometimes, like the story we read here, sometimes... Jesus has a way, even today still, to just step right into the midst of our personal world and to just invade our life and to speak into our hearts directly and personally what we need to hear and to show us more of who he is and to invite us to embrace him and why. Because he wants our faith to be fortified And he wants us, each one, to have our own individual encounter with him. And maybe you're here this morning, and as I'm saying that, you say, that's exactly what the Lord did in my life. Man, I I, I didn't ask my permission. He just stepped right into my world, right where I was at, and he revealed himself to me, and he spoke powerfully to my heart, and he gave me the invitation to embrace him And if you're here this morning and you haven't ever yet embraced and experienced Jesus Christ, can I just challenge you? Ask. Ask. I dare you to ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. I dare you. If you've grown up in a Christian home and you see Jesus at work and your parents, I don't get it. I come sit through this church service thing. and What's the bit? Ask him. The parents your Jesus know, he will reveal himself to you too. Ask him. I dare you to ask him. I dare you to ask him. Or if you're just still seeking Jesus and trying to figure out, well, do I want to do this Jesus thing? I dare you. Try it. Lord, I, I want, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. Jesus wants to reveal himself and he wants to speak to people. And he will reveal himself to you as well. Well, look at verse 44 and 45. It says, And then these, Jesus said to them, are the words which I spoke to you while still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he, verse 45, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Notice with me, if you would, another way that we find that the Lord Jesus uses to reveal himself, verse 44 and 45 show us, another way Jesus uses to reveal himself is through the truth of scripture. Through the truth of scripture. One of the best ways to get to know Jesus is to discover him in the truths of scripture. To find him in the pages of God's word. He reminds the disciples that what happened up to that point were simply things that he had already been speaking to them about that were being fulfilled, that were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, and he says those things were written, verse 44, concerning what? Me. Those things were all written concerning me. I want you to take notice that the written word of God was the master plan that the Son of God used to fulfill the will of God for his own life. 
Jesus says, all these things I've been fulfilling what was written concerning me. Jesus Christ lived a life that was an obedient fulfillment to Scripture. And He's our model. He's our model. And He lived a life that was an obedient fulfillment of Scripture as the Messiah. And for the second time now in Luke 24, again, the Holy Spirit brings to our attention that Jesus here, He's directly with His own words indicating the primary topic of the Bible is Jesus. He says here, all those things written in the law, the prophets, the Psalms concerning me. The life of Jesus is revealed throughout the entire Old Testament, the person and work of Jesus from Genesis to Malachi. Jesus is revealed in clear and direct references to him as the Messiah in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and Deuteronomy 18. And Jesus is also revealed in many types and foreshadowings, the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the feast days and different people and events that are types of Christ. Remember again back in verse 27 when Jesus gave that Bible study, when he expounded all things in the scriptures, he expounded things concerning what? Himself. That was how he taught. He pointed to himself in the pages of scriptures. The concern of the Spirit of God when these pages were inspired, when the Spirit of God inspired and gave to us the very book that we hold precious in our hands this morning, the concern of the Holy Spirit was that people would discover Jesus and that people would get to know more about Jesus. The Bible, hear me, is much more than a book of great lessons and of good counsel and of great family ideas of how to raise kids or you know, it is so much more than that. The Bible is a book of revelation whereby the Lord reveals himself to humanity that we might know his son Jesus Christ find him in salvation and get to know him as our Lord as a believer therefore if you're a Christian we should be just as excited about the Old Testament scriptures as we are the New Testament scriptures because Jesus is revealing himself there and seeking to reach out to us and when we come to the scriptures we should expect to find Jesus and we should expect to hear things from Jesus. A.W. Tozer said, let us read the Bible as the word of God and never apologize for finding Jesus Christ throughout its pages for Jesus Christ is what the Bible is all about. I am a firm believer as a person who follows the Lord and as a pastor that when we study God's word and we read God's word the way God intends, it should not just be to get spiritual knowledge alone. It should not just be an academic exercise. We should encounter the Lord personally as the result of spending time in God's word. Jesus rebuked the, the religious leaders because he says, you search the scriptures thinking in them you find eternal life and you fail to realize these are the very things that speak of me, but yet you don't come to me. In other words, he says, if you read the Bible correctly, it would make you come to me. You would be drawn to me because you would, and the word of God, it seeks to draw people to Jesus relationally. Not just give us more facts intellectually. It's intended to be an intimate personal thing whereby we meet the Lord. So the successful result, listen, the successful result of personal Bible reading, and to me the successful result of exposition of the scriptures is that people encounter the Lord. If I don't encounter the Lord when I read my Bible, 
something went wrong. If I don't hear from the Lord when the Word of God is taught to me and I don't have a compelling desire afterwards not to go, man, that guy's bright. Wow, he's prof- he's perfect. If as the result of hearing the Word of God taught to me, I don't want to responsively draw near to the Lord, respond to the Lord, and I didn't experience God speaking to my heart, something went amiss. Because the Scripture's intention is to point us and to draw us closer to Jesus. I love how in verse 45 it even says that Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. He gave them supernatural aid to understand the Scriptures. Jesus wants people to understand and comprehend the Word of God. It says here He actually opened up their understanding, their ability to grasp and reason to that place of judgment, Jesus supernaturally enabled them. It's almost as if he pulled back the curtain or he defrosted the windshield and he gave them spiritual assistance. Why? It says, verse 45, so that they could comprehend. The word means to put together ideas for association. Again, Jesus didn't open up their minds and their understanding to comprehend the scriptures in a way whereby they would find new hyper-spiritual theologies or find codes in the Bible. No, no, no. Jesus opens people's understanding to comprehend just what the Word of God says. What it says. Face value. It means what it says and it says what it means. And Jesus gave them supernatural ability to better connect the dots and understand the things in God's word, which reminds us when we come to the word of God, we need to be dependent upon the Lord. When I read the Bible, I need to pray, Lord, would you open up my understanding? Help me comprehend the scriptures. When we study the word of God, it's not all an effort of human ability. We need spiritual illumination. This is a spiritual book. And therefore, we need the Spirit of God to discern it to understanding. That's why as a Christian, sometimes when an unbeliever reads the Bible, they go, I don't understand this. Let me explain to you why. Because the Spirit of God wrote this book. This isn't like a newspaper or some great novel. The Spirit of God wrote this book. And therefore, when the Spirit of God becomes a part of your life because you accept Jesus Christ, now the author lives on the inside. So when you don't understand something in paragraph 3 on page 6, The author who wrote it lives inside of you and he can illuminate and give you understanding to what it means. And God wants us to be dependent and to realize and Jesus is informing us that he is even willing to help us better understand what the word of God says. And again, why? Because what's the Bible about? It's about Jesus. Jesus wants us to understand the scriptures because it's through the scriptures that he reveals himself to us. And life is about getting to know Jesus and making Jesus known to everybody else in this world.